Good morning, good evening, wherever you're listening to the VMware Community Roundtable. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Community Roundtable podcast. This is podcast number 458. My name is Eric Nilsson, and with me, I have my co-host, John White. John, how are you doing? Doing really well, Eric. Uh, sorry I couldn't make it into the studio. Just got stuck on phone calls here at home. So uh, the Color of the Bay report is, guess what? Haven't seen the Bay because I'm still at home. But it's raining outside, so I imagine it's that dirty uh, gray that gets the turbulence. It has been uh, it has been raining in California. We are getting lots of rain, which is great. Uh, we are getting a lot of feedback on my headphones. I don't know if uh, Julie, are you getting that feedback as yeah. well? So we should probably yep. clean up how we're getting uh, feedback through microphones before we get started, or it would be incredibly painful for our audience. Hmm? It is good now. So we'll see um, what's actually happening there while we're picking that up. Uh, today is, uh, let's see, what is today? December 5th, uh, 2018. And we're going to talk about AWS reInvent, the recap, as well as we have our favorite Corey Romero on to talk about vExpert nominations for 2019. Uh, so lots of stuff going on. Uh, was an exciting last week at uh, AWS reInvent. So it should be some interesting things to talk about. If you're watching the live stream, I might show a couple slides, uh, things that we presented at the booth, a couple photos of what was happening at reInvent, because you know part of our goals was to share the reInvent experience with community members. And uh, I think we met that goal, so we'll bring some of that back and talk uh, about it on the podcast. But before we do that, we'll just talk a little bit about what's happening with regards to uh, vExperts. So Corey, I think you're on the call. How's it going? Good, Eric. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Uh, got some sleep. Uh, everybody's kind of refreshed a little bit. A little bit of sickness going on throughout the team. Yeah, colds here or there, but in general, we've we've managed to get through VMworld uh, Europe as well as now uh, AWS reInvent, and we're still alive, which is good. Maybe we can get back into the routine of things. Um, so, speaking of routine of things, uh, how's the how's the VExpert program going these days? It's going great. We're uh, looking forward to uh, opening applications early next week uh, for the 2019 program. That sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, I know everybody just seems like we just got done doing this. It seems like it's a routine that everybody has to go through once a year. Uh, nominations, we still have the fast nomination process, obviously, so that if you've already been a expert, you don't have to fill out quite as much, right? Uh, but uh, at the same time, we still need, we still need applications. This year, are we going to publish a really good application so people can see what a good application looks like? Yes. Yeah. Well. Yes. We'll we'll do that. We'll publish a, a really good app. One of the really good applications. I have, I have a few people in mind that we'll use. Uh, we'll use that. Uh, also, what we'll be doing is um, translating that for the different geos as well. So um, I'm working with Valdesir. Uh, and working with the pros, so we'll have a, an example application of what a really good application looks like uh, translated as well as um, our announcement translated to. Yeah, that's great, because I know when we were re reviewing applications last year, there was a, a, a big uh, difference between really good applications, and some people just would literally put one line, I'm this person, here's my Twitter account, right? Um, and, and then we had other people that actually had 15 or 20 different 
you know, examples. And those ones are easy, easy to judge, right? Because you can obviously see exactly what they do and you can just say, great, approve. Where when people just kind of assume we know what they're doing, it makes it a lot harder for us. We have to dig around. Some people misspell their Twitter handle, you know, don't put the right URL for their blog, and then don't give us, you know, ran VMUGs, one line, right? And we have to go look right. at what VMUG they were, what city they were, what did they do, you know, look at the agendas. And so each one of those type of apps takes know, an hour for a reviewer versus somebody that does a really nice thing. It literally takes one minute. You just scan through all the stuff. Maybe you verify a couple of the things to make sure that the person is being accurate. And it's quite apparent that this guy has been doing a lot of work or this person. So yeah, that, that'll be excellent. Uh, looking forward to that uh, going live. I know you guys have been working on the app and I heard that there are some new functions to the app. Not sure what that was. I just saw a little bit of that, and I'm not sure if you can talk about it or not. But I thought I'd just throw that at you, see if you want to give it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. So Martin Smith had uh, had uh, added a couple things for us. Uh, one of the one of the things for the app in the application, not directly for the for the V expert app applicants, but for us as admins, uh, was the ability to export data um, by geo and also by country as well as by program. So if we want to um, interact with VExpert NSX uh, in Belgium, we can do that. It's, it's just an easy export and we can send that uh, to, to the program manager um, looking for that data. Uh, another part that he did add, which is in re direct reflection of the application, is the ability to mark, yes, I worked with a VExpert Pro and then put in, the, put in the name of the pro that the person worked with. So we'll have vExpert pros that are working with vExperts to help them along, um, you know, help them build up uh, their social profile and various things to work towards vExpert, and you'll be able to recognize um, those pros now while you're, um, while you're filling out your application. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, that, uh, that's uh, exactly what we're hoping for. And uh, excited about the pro program. I know we didn't really talk about what we're doing with that. We, we got a lot of feedback from VMworld Europe people that were part of the pro uh, nominations and, uh, and absolutely want to, you know, to have multiple pros in each country and then have those pros meeting with the experts in region and engaging with them and then helping spread the word of what the experts are, what an evangelist is, why it's good for your brand, why it's good for your career, and why it's good for VMware, and what we as a company try to do to promote the experts and promote their brand and promote traffic to their blogs or their, their community services that they do offer. So uh, a lot of, lot of good feedback from VMworld uh, Europe about that. So we're integrating that into the program. Uh, and I did talk to Valdesir a couple days ago about kicking off monthly VExpert Pro meetings where we can start organizing the activities that they are doing in each country. And then with that addition to the VExpert app, that sounds great because we can get those VExpert VExpert Pros, the active people that are in region so that they can engage with them as well. So. Uh, nice awesome. features to add, and uh, thanks to Martin. Shout out to him for for spending his time uh, building out that app. And you know, we don't pay him extra for that. He's a VMware employee, but it's certainly not his job. So we really appreciate him working on that. So that's awesome. We absolutely do. Yep. Very good, very good. I also want to shout out to everybody that listened to our last podcast. Uh, I hope you had a good holiday. A good 
Thanksgiving. It was just me. Uh, we got 6,500 downloads of that podcast, which was, which was just me rambling. So I appreciate everybody listening, and I hope you got something relevant out of the podcast. And I, I did say thank you to everybody for listening. So thank you for listening. And, and uh, I've realized now that if you want a lot of downloads of your podcast, put the title really exciting and interesting, regardless of what you're going to be talking about, because I think everybody downloads it based on the title. Uh, but I appreciate that. So shout out to everybody that uh, downloaded that. Uh, that that was that was pretty awesome. And we weren't on live stream, so thanks to everybody that's now watching us on live stream. We do have a couple slides that we'll share and uh, a couple pictures from uh, reInvent. So we'll talk. We'll we'll hit those. So if you want to jump over and watch uh, the the Facebook live stream, which actually records that you can play back at any time, uh, you can do that. So. Uh, there you go. So, John, before we get into AWS, any any things you you want to share over the last couple of weeks? Haven't haven't talked to you in a while. How's it going? Going really well. The uh, there's I think all of the product announcements and stuff that I have center around AWS reInvent. So, um, uh, yeah, a couple we'll things in Barcelona, that. but uh, let's hold off. Okay. Yep. That's good. Well, nice to have you on the call, and and thanks for for for, for muting a little bit there because I, I noticed it got quiet, and then there's a delay when we chat, so you're probably unmuting yourself. So I appreciate that. So cool, and uh, hope to see you back in the studio one of these years, which would which would be really good. I'm I'm sure whatever affliction you have that makes you impossible to be on camera uh, will soon be over, and you'll come back and visit us in the studio. But I'm <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's right. Well, by popular demand, we, we don't have any more room for the we want John back on camera letters that are filling filling up our, our, our spare closet. So please come back, get on camera and say hello. There, I threw your joke back at you. So impressions on AWS. Um, so Corey, uh, the social team, John, uh, Tommy Barry, uh, Kripa, um, uh, we're all at the, and Julia, who was doing our live stream filming, we were all at the, at the booth. It was a, an amazing conference, um, mostly IT folks. I was a little a bit surprised when uh, I first got there. I thought it was going to be lots of young hipster people all doing startup kind of stuff, you know, kind of like South by Southwest, right, where this was just going to be a completely different experience from what I would expect out of VMworld. But uh, when I got there, um, I think I got in a little crowd that was younger. So I thought, oh, yeah, this is it. This is going to be the younger, cool hipster cloud. So I had my cool black glasses on. I tried to be hipster. Uh, no, not really. But um, I thought that, but uh, really when you started looking at the audience, it, it wasn't. It was mostly IT folks. It, it really did reflect a lot of what you would see at VMworld. Um, you know, with with people, uh, AWS gives giveaway hoodies, right? So, but but it really, if you if you look at the demographic of people, it was a lot of IT folks, uh, not as young as hip as I would have envisioned. Um, maybe you know, average age might have went from like 38 down to 36, right? But certainly, a lot of people my age, I'm I'm 56, if you didn't know, and there were a lot of 56, 50 year old guys that you know had been in IT for a long time that came up and chatted with us. As well as uh, as young people, and you know, but but they were all pretty professional, right? Um, so there's, I'm sure, you know, in some corners, uh, reInvent gets, um, you know, you know, 20 year old startup people. But really, what I saw was very much uh, IT oriented type of folks. So that was a learning for me 
Corey, I don't know if uh, if your impression was the same or what you what you thought from a people perspective. Um, what what your impression was there? Yeah, from a people's perspective, I really didn't have uh, you know really did really didn't have anything set in stone of what I thought the age group would be. I, I was just kind of really unknown. Um, what I was really shocked by was just the amount of people interested in what we were doing, and and just interested in VMware. Um, you know. Um, as, as a company, um, I got a lot of questions when I was at the booth about, you know, what is VM, not what is VMware, but what is VMware doing here, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, I had a great time at the show. Um, I, it, it, seemed, it seemed like the same audience that, I, that we have in VMworld almost, um, the same age group, the, you know, the same background, um, that, those types of folks. So um, I, I had a really good time. Um, Really impressed with with the amount of traffic and amount of people we had it, it, in the booth. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to the traffic with that, but that's uh, good for your impression. Uh, I, I guess I was a little bit. Uh, I had unrealistic expectations, um, but I thought that uh, I was actually really comfortable with the people. I also thought the the show was bigger. I did get final numbers on the show. Uh, there were sixty five thousand people at the show, so it was crowded. They it was interesting. They had security scanners, so no one got into the conference without going through metal scanners every time. So when I first got there, the lines literally took me 25 minutes to get from outside the venue into the conference area. Um, so th that was a new experience for me, which I wasn't expecting. Turns out I must have just come at a bad time because later on they got their lines worked out and pretty much then there wasn't any wait, right? But it was busy. You walk through scanners coming and going out of the venues. They were a multi-venue um, environment. So there were two hotels. There was Venetian and the Aria, but they had, you know, big, you know, 40-foot buses, you know, the Greyhound big guys running back and forth continuously. There was always Greyhound buses out in front. You could just hop on a bus and head back over to one of the other hotels. And I, they might have been in a third hotel, but mostly it was Venetian and area. So um, it, it was a big event, a lot of people, a lot of, lot of people everywhere. Um, and then big screens that showcase sessions, all the sessions that were going on, but fairly easy to read. Uh, so so um, impressions was 45,000 people versus 25,000. But because they had it in two hotels, it felt like a VM world again, right? It wasn't like cram packed. It was busy um, and a lot of people everywhere, but they just made it a bigger venue, which meant that I didn't feel more crowded than what I was in the past. So I like that. Um, and I, I, yeah. I felt that every yep, everybody else felt that, right? Did you felt that way, right? Not not overcrowded. Yeah, no, no. I, I thought I thought they did a really great job with crowd control, getting through pe people through security. Um, as far as asking questions, they had people literally everywhere. I remember when I got off the plane, went down to baggage area. There were people down in the baggage area with a AWS reInvent shirts on, and apparently Tommy Barry saw that there was registration at the airport as well. I didn't see it myself. But apparently they had registration at the airport as well as the uh, the different the different sites for the conference, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Registration tended to go hot or cold depending on when you came in. I heard there was like two hours at the airport at some point, so people were tweeting out 
don't do it at the airport, come on stacks. Then there was lines on, you know, there were, but the lines look big, but I think they moved them pretty quick. So I don't think anybody waited to reg more than about 30 minutes if you were at the venue. Uh, I came in Sunday afternoon when they opened reg. Uh, they opened it Sunday at 1, and I came in at like 1, one thirty, and I waited maybe seven minutes, right, and just walked through a line and, and then regged, and I was on my way. So pretty easy to get through reg and get get going to, to your conference. Yeah, activity. it was for us as well. I, I was there with Tommy and the rest of the team, and we went through registration in, a, in literally a matter of minutes. By the time we walked in yep. the door, I think we were out the door within three minutes. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. Um, I, another observation was I saw IoT everywhere. So Internet of Things is big for cloud. I could, you know, that there were a lot of IoT activities. Now we were in the area which focused on kind of the more avant-garde type of activities. The other thing I saw was Kubernetes was everywhere. So Kubernetes platform in the airport. There were ads for. Uh, NetApps, NetApps Kubernetes services, right? Uh, there were also ads for Veeam, right? So Veeam was everywhere. So um, a lot of the similar things, but a lot of Kubernetes uh, activities. Kubernetes sessions that we had in our VMware code booth were full. So anytime we ran a Kubernetes thing, people found it in Schedule Builder and showed up at our at our at our at our booth. And that was another learning thing was that we got our our sessions in Session Builder. Um, our booth, just like we do for VMworld um, Europe and US, and that worked. Uh, we had people coming, going, "Hey, I know there's a session here." They were able to find where we were at. Um, it wasn't hard. We were in the quad, so I was pretty particularly happy with their um, their mobile app, which allowed you to search on sessions, and we had them all under there as VMware code. So, uh, but Kubernetes, IoT, uh, and then a lot of a lot of services, lots of software services. AI was big, machine learning, responsive learning, I think they call it RI, um, that was also big. Uh, so a lot, of, a, lo a lot more application software services uh, at, at the place to, as to be expected. I think everybody knows that AWS tends to work with the people up the stack a little bit. And uh, there were certainly sessions, when I scanned through sessions, uh, there were sessions that were university researchers looking at big data, right, uh, and, and how big data was used and they were very specific around the application instances. So a little bit different from VMworld where a lot of our sessions are really infrastructure focused. And yeah, we do some big data things, but maybe there's a handful of those. Where what I saw, what I saw at reInvent is a lot more sessions specific to applications. Um, and, and that was interesting. And AWS is doing some of, those, um, some of those activities that were very specific around machine learning and uh, responsive learning APIs that they've created that allows you to do this frameworks that they've created. So a lot of, a lot of, a lot of uh, reinvent frameworky type of things there. So that was interesting, just to, some takeaways. Uh, I don't know if, uh, uh, if you got out to see much else, Corey, with regards to um, uh, the type of things that people were learning. Uh, did you manage to run into some of the experts? I thought the audience was, I think I saw maybe 10% or less the audience being people that would recognize us as uh, VMware community members. Uh, I don't know what you thought with regards to people coming up and saying hello versus all the people that you met. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we did we did have some V experts hanging out at the booth. Had had, had a couple of V experts um, doing some of the talks as well. 
Uh, but yeah, I think there were a total of eight V experts that I ran into at the show over there. Right. But, you know, yeah. kind of felt versus 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 you probably saw a thousand people at the booth, right? So maybe right. you ran into right. eight, right? Which is less right. than one percent, right? And right. that was my assessment. Most of the people that I ran into never met them before, didn't know who we were, but really were interested in what we were doing. We got a lot of traction, right? But not not our typical audience, right? So le- less than one percent was. Our audience yeah, and yeah. 99% of the people didn't know who we were or what we were, but were very interested. Most people had heard of us, right? But a lot of people are like, weren't you just virtualization? So a lot of that kind of yep. stuff. But then mm-hmm. we, we also did announcements. With This gets back to John, John White, and me and John can talk a little bit about the announcements that people have heard of. Um, so, so John, if you want to unmute yourself for a little bit, maybe we'll just chat about uh, what you heard. First thing that I want to chat about is uh, Pat was on the keynote stage, and he talked about vSphere running on AWS hardware. I don't know if you heard about that, John, or what your impressions were, but uh, we know that at the show that made a lot of news. Don't know if you heard about it or not. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about the Amazon uh, AWS outposts. So yeah. Amazon announced yeah. that they're going to be doing on-prem hardware, right? So um, so on-prem hardware, it's something that we had kind of talked about earlier with our um, Project Dimension announcement, doing edge hardware. Um, Amazon has their own version they're calling outposts, and we're partnering with them to put um, – VMware Cloud on AWS on top of Amazon Outposts. So, I mean, the, the two use cases that I can see are, you know, people who have edge uh, compute, you know, out at a remote location or remote office branch office where they don't have an IT presence. And it's nice to have some kind of managed hardware, um, low latency connection to, you know, your actual applications, and then able to put, you know, VMware Cloud on top of that and manage as if it's, you know, the same VMware Cloud on AWS. It just happens to be on-prem. And then the other use cases, you know, just where you can't or don't have an IT presence. You know, so you might have a major installation, but you don't have the ability to spin up an IT presence there. Uh, maybe it's in a different country. You know, uh, who knows? But um, those two, you know, use cases are, are what pops into mind right off the bat. It seems like a pretty exciting announcement, actually. Yeah, I, I was wonder, wondering also if uh, use case might be um, just uh, where I want the same exact hardware uh, in a hybrid cloud environment. So, you know, we support hybrid cloud. We support vMotion from your data center over to AWS. But then you start talking about different platforms and different architectures. If you wanted to have an outpost that was focused on a g- given platform where you have a heterogeneous platform between your, your on-prem and your, your cloud, that would also, you know, allow you to do that. Right, which is guarantee CPU compatibility. Yeah, I think think it's a really good idea. One of the, I think, advantages of vSphere as we transition to the the version of vSphere that's out in VMware Cloud and AWS is increased compatibility. And um, uh, the the, the vMotion compatibility has been, you know, branched out a little bit. And the, the... requirements relax a little bit just because we we iterate the version so quickly there. So I'm not sure that is as much an issue, but I do see a situation where maybe on-prem a customer has aging hardware, 
they're not ready to get rid of it. They don't know, you know, that it's still doing important things, but they need to expand and they would rather expand with a managed offering, somebody else right. owning the hardware, somebody else owning the installation, somebody else owning the, you know, the break fix cycle. Right. Right. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. So that was one, uh, that, that, that announcement. And I think that's the one that Pat was on stage. I did not get to see the keynote to know whether that was the announcement that he did on stage, but I think it was because I think it was a, on the first day that we got a lot of social buzz around that and people started coming and asking questions and the vSphere people tweeted out and reached out to me going, Hey, how's it going? Are we getting a lot of questions around that? Cause it seemed to be kind of, you know, one of the, the popular ones. One of the one of the questions I got from some community members is what does Dell think about this, right? Because doesn't Dell sorry sell hardware and aren't we aren't we owned by Dell? So um, I didn't really have an answer for that other than I think Dell is happy that we're selling more vSphere because our, we announced our numbers and th those look good as well. So maybe they're happy with the fact that as long as the Dell uh, technologies is involved in the conversations uh, Everybody seems happy, but uh, we did get some of those questions. What does Dell think about uh, AWS getting into the hardware business? I actually don't know what hardware, and maybe I should open up chat and see if somebody else knows, what actual hardware AWS allows you to run or what they're, what they're actually giving you when they're talking about hardware. But uh, maybe somebody in the I community I think Amazon knows is one of those companies. Yeah, in AWS, they, they buy, you know, on a global scale and in such quantity that they, I think they actually go directly to the original device manufacturers and they, they purchase custom hardware. So, you know, rather than a Dell and HP or even a Supermicro, I think they're going to Foxconn and saying, here's our board design or, you know, come collaborating on a board design, collaborating on, on the chassis, and then it's just contract manufactured for them. That's yeah. the scale yep. that they're at. Yeah, yeah I know that's Google's, what I heard I as well. It's Amazon's design uh, and a third party building it. Okay, right. So Dell probably shouldn't be happy about that, but uh, yeah, that's that's life in cloud, right? So everybody, uh, frenemies, everybody doing certain parts of the business. So that was an interesting, uh, definitely an interesting uh, announcement that happened. Uh, John, I don't know on your side if anything else was interesting. I know one other one I, I, we can talk about is the the ARM cloud, since we were showing uh, uh, NSA, uh, sorry, uh, ESX on Raspberry Pi. We did those demos. We also had Raspberry Pis everywhere with ARMs, and we were talking about IoT sensors and that stuff, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but uh, that was the other announcement that made some news was the uh, AD, the ARM cloud that AWS announced. So we'll talk about that. But don't know, John, if there was any other things that you heard out of out of that that uh, we might not have heard because we were running the booth. Yeah, ARM Cloud, I think, is specific to Amazon. I don't know that we have a play there, although it is interesting that we have, you know, VCR on ARM um, that was, you know, softly announced at both VMworlds this year. Um, so, you know, maybe that was part of the motivation behind it. Who knows? Um, the, the other announcement I think that we had at reInvent was uh, VMware Cloud Foundation for EC2, which I think they said, you know, again, it's probably not delivered until maybe the latter half of calendar year 2019 or, you know, there's probably no um, firm date, but it looks like a combination of NSX capabilities, cloud health capabilities, our cloud management and Wavefront 
all being delivered delivered for native EC2 workloads. So, you know, completely independent of vSphere and our hypervisor, if customers are using EC2, then we'll be able to deliver a suite of uh, combined solutions um, to help them yeah. own and, and operate and manage those EC2 workloads. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, I had not heard that, but that's that's kind of how we approach the marketing at the code booth, right? If you look at our sessions, we focus mainly on uh, things that ran native on EC2, right? Like Wavefront, uh, also Kubernetes. We have the uh, VKE, which has now been rebranded Cloud VKE, I think, or Cloud. No, PKE. So cloud PKS, PKE, cloud. Is, yeah, PKS, yeah, PKS cloud, sorry. And uh, so we focused on Kubernetes on cloud. We focused on Wavefront. We focused on cloud health um, and a couple other of our, we, you know, cloud services that then we could, you could run without needing that. But it's never been bundled. Those are all separate, separate, you know, products that you go get a Wavefront, you go get a PKE, uh, those are all now. It sounds like that announcement is bundling them and allowing them to run in their own environment on 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 EC2. Is that that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's a good announcement. And then uh, just talk a little bit about the uh, the ARM cloud. Just because we were talking about ARM, um, ARM is definitely one of those platforms that. A lot of edge solutions are using ARM processors. So we talked about uh, Honda, Toyota. You drive in 2022, you're going to have sensors in your cars. All cars sold in 2022 from those vendors will actually have sensors that when you drive into the dealership, the, the, the car, the dealership will have ARM-based solutions on-prem. They will, you know, interact with the car and collect all that that data, move that data back up into the cloud. Obviously, provide diagnostic diagnostic applications and service applications to manage those cars. And it's kind of like when you hear Tesla doing an, uh, you know, an update to their car OS, right? Um, it's the same kind of principle. And a lot of that compute uh, workload is being done on ARM, and the sensors are being done on ARM, and the car. The car CPUs are ARM CPUs. And so when you start looking at that workload and the various building management systems and other kind of IoT sensor-based systems, which VMware gets into provisioning, so we manage and provision through um, some of some of the uh, stuff in Atlanta, I forget the product name, um, AirWatch. So AirWatch does management of that, and our, our, our desktop AirWatch solutions will now manage those pieces. And we also have IoT Pulse that gets into the management of, of those devices. That's all ARM-based solutions. And at the same time that we're showing this and showing edge computing and ARM and talking about ARM and demonstrating that, in fact, we are putting ESX on ARM for that exact reason, not for Raspberry Pi, but for bigger ARM solutions, right, bigger ARM boxes, which I talked a little bit about the last podcast. Uh, lo and behold, um, Amazon announced ARM-based CPUs in their cloud. So if you wanted to move some of the edge, which is kind of odd, but allow edge-based computing to be moved up into ARM, you can stay on ARM and do that. And guess what? ARM is here to stay. And if I were Intel, I would I would be getting a little nervous about about you know ARM's extended reach back up into big server data centers, which ARM CPUs now are getting multi-core. You know, eight-core ARMs are uh, are normal. I think your phone has eight-core these days, an iPhone ARM. Uh, ARMs are different, you know, made by different chip manufacturers at the standard. But nonetheless, uh, they're out there. 
Uh, and I think that there was an announcement that uh, the Taiwanese manufacturer, I forget the name of them, it's a four-letter word, MSI, I think they're called, uh, is now the number one chip maker in the world, and it's mostly all due to ARM demand, right? They've, they've surpassed Intel with regards to chip volume, uh, and there is now ARM chip volume that's uh, exceeding Intel chip volume, and uh, ARM is starting to climb up off mobile and get embedded in various uh, edge computing data center applications, as well as now uh, AWS announced uh, ARM, the ARM cloud, which was good for us in our booth, in the code booth, because we were demonstrating ARM, and we were doing CESX on ARM, and lo and behold, they announced an ARM cloud at the same time. So we, we looked a little more relevant which was which is also that's also good. It's so also that was interesting announced. to note that basically, sorry to interrupt. It's interesting to note that, um, that Amazon is the the place the largest uh, the place where you can probably immediately and quickly get ARM architecture, you know, at scale, um, as opposed to in the regular data center market where people can you know readily buy servers with Intel chips um, or you know but to, to go to the ARM architecture you know that's a much much smaller marketplace so um, AWS is the place where you can you can get it well you know by the end of the you know 15 minutes or whatever yeah yeah I agree I agree I mean in fact my takeaway from all of this is that if I were anything new, building out new apps or new environments, I would certainly look at all the solutions that AWS and VMware offered with regards to connectivity, man management, security. I felt that AWS is pretty new and doesn't really know what they're doing with regards to data center operations and high availability and, you know, keeping, you know, you can't upgrade everything at every minute because some applications require stability and you don't have a lot of time to re-engineer your app every time platforms change. So I felt, I felt AWS is a little immature when it comes to that particular um, space, but at the same time, um, they offer a lot of capability, right? So I certainly was impressed by everything they had and how many customers they had and what they were doing. And it's clear that VMware needs to be there and needs to be selling uh, and engaging and doing announcements and offering products there. So yeah, that's a good good announcement. I had not heard about that one, John. So bundling of uh, uh, our products that run native on AWS. EC2, cool. Right. Uh, the ARM announcement. Uh, so then uh, I thought we would spend a little bit of time um, talking about uh, the code booth and uh, what we did with code and some of the metrics that were that came out of the show. And uh, so I'll transition to that and uh, let you know. And and uh, uh, somebody in chat says Cloud Foundation for EC2. That's the name of it. So uh, cool. So that's the the cloud vent R bundle on on EC2. So good there. Thanks for that. All right, uh, talking about the code booth, uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, we had three goals on the code booth uh, that me, Corey, and uh, Tommy, and the whole team kind of had. Goal number one was outbound awareness in the social channels. So we wanted to let everybody know that, hey, we are going to take community into AWS, right? That, there, that we see a hybrid cloud, we see a hybrid community, we see VMware community being part of the AWS ecosystem, and that we were gonna make a, an investment to be there, and so you know we did. We we spent a couple hundred thousand dollars to have a booth 
Jake V. Brownbag there. Alistair Cook was there. Uh, we did code there, and we did the classic community theater with community presentations and product presentations and geeky code presentations. Uh, so that was number one. Goal number one was outbound awareness and social channels. And to that goal, uh, AWS put up um, volumes of tweet per vendor chart, right? And then kind of declared winners. Uh, who is the who is the most tweeted vendor behind AWS themselves? And we took uh, first place. Um, so we were the number one tweeted uh, vendor, VMware. Uh, we had more social traffic than anybody else um, throughout the conference. Uh, AWS was the only one that had more volume. And so we were, we were happy with that result. In fact, everybody inside of VMware is happy with that result, partly because obviously Pat was on the keynote. We announced Outposts, uh, the, the announcement, which also got a lot of traffic. So VMware got a lot of traffic there. But the community booth, VMware community, got uh, position number four. So VMware got... Um, position number two overall, and then um, VMware community got position number four. So if you combine those two, we outpaced everybody. So thanks to the community for retweeting us and engaging in the conversation because from an outbound awareness in the social channels, we owned the, the event uh, as a vendor, uh, which is all you can ask for. So that was pretty good. So John, I don't know if you you saw any of it or not, but, uh, but we definitely uh, try to make a lot of noise on Twitter and the social channels. Oh my goodness. You're asking if I saw your guys' boot presence on Twitter and the social channels? Of course I did. It was amazing. I just, there's so many tweets, so many retweets, so many pictures, uh, people visiting the booth, taking selfies at the booth. It was uh, just tremendous. Yeah, yeah, but we, and I don't know if that's a mistake. Tommy Barry, uh, my social, my, my social team, always just says that we push too hard, that we're, we're spamming everybody. Uh, but it was fun. We did have a lot of fun doing it. So it wasn't that hard to to do that because the booth was packed, and we had a lot of fun with the Raspberry Pis and the sensors, which I'll talk a little bit about here next. But uh, yeah, it was fun. So that was good. So thanks to everybody that retweeted us and uh, and what we're trying to do. Um, I'll talk about goal number three. But first, goal number two was VMware code signups. Uh, we actually wanted to you know increase. People get signed, get people that are coming to AWS, get them, make them aware of VMware code. If they're geeky, you know, let them know that we have it. It's a free program and it will engage with you. And you can learn about our community by joining one of our communities, which VMware code was there. So in that, we, uh, we had scanners and uh, we had people and we told them if you want to sign up, we'll scan you and you'll, you know, we'll put you on the VMware code uh, you know, quarterly newsletter and you know, you'll learn about all the online sessions that Julia and us uh, uh, live stream on Facebook and see kind of the, the schedule of events that we do for VMware code. Uh, to that, um, we scanned 2,200 people. So, uh, and if you think we were only there for three days, uh, that meant you know, we were there for three and days and three hours. Uh, Monday night was a three-hour session. Uh, that meant that we were scanning 800 some people a day, which is 100 an hour, which means that we were scanning somebody every minute. 
um, you know, coming through the booth, which was extremely busy. Um, we had uh, 40 seats in the theater, kind of a round little stools you sat on, which is kind of cool. Um, and I think we, you know, scanned uh, 40 seats, 40 sessions, would, would give us 1,600 potential slots over the course of the three days or three and a half, three and a quarter days. And uh, they were full, mostly full, standing room only a lot of the times. Um, everybody was in a seat, plus we had you know 20 people deep watching some of the sessions, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and everybody that came and did a presentation was like, wow, this is great. And at the same time, uh, we recorded them all uh, and put them on uh, code.facebook.com uh, slash VMware code, which is our, our community. So those live streams are there. We also put them up on YouTube. Those live streams are there. In a real sense, these are kind of a lot of these were reruns of the ones that we did in uh, uh, Vegas and in Barcelona. So probably like 70% of those were just, you know, same people coming and doing presentations. But there were a lot of presentations on the AWS stuff uh, that were new. Um, but nonetheless, we, we, did, uh, we did get 2,200 VMware code signups, scanned everybody. Um, we gave away, we had a coffee, just like we did in a VMworld US, we had a, a coffee barista. Uh, I think we did uh, 1,200 cups of uh, espresso uh, during the show, which meant that there was always a line. Sometimes there was a line uh, eight people deep, right, uh, to, to the espresso machine in our booth. Um, and then we gave away 2,000. I think I brought I, I brought I brought 2,000 Raspberry Pi sensors to the activities, and we gave them all the way all all away. I think we had 100 uh, joystick sensors left, but basically gave away 1,800 or 1,900 session, uh, 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 Raspberry Pi sensors to those who showed up at the booth. We had the, uh, the, the tables, the makerspace tables and the code where people were doing um, the, the labs. And if you basically hung out and did the labs and got your sensors running, um, at the end of it, you know, some of these people would stay there two hours working on their makerspace, getting sensors working. Uh, if you got them working and you were hanging out with us, uh, we would give you a free Raspberry Pi. Uh, we didn't, we didn't publish that, publicize that, um, but we gave away 50 uh, Raspberry Pis during the event, which was also fun because guys that came did the lang, hung out with us, got to know us, learned about VMware code, uh, learned about ESX, did uh, watch multiple sessions, got multiple sensors, and then came to the tables and hang out. Uh, we gave away. We actually bought Raspberry Pis in boxes and brought them, and and at the end would give them give them away, um, just as a thank you gift for guys that you know kind of hang out with us and did the labs and were really into it. We had some leads, uh, you know, for the different products, which I think was also uh, very fun. So from a code sign up perspective, that was objective number two. I think we did really well, and everybody had a fun time. Uh, it taught taught everybody that was there that VMware is from the edge all the way up into hybrid cloud and cloud environments. So a lot of people that came went, well, I've heard of VMware, aren't they virtualization? And it gave us a good chance to give them the narrative of what VMware has endpoint to endpoint from, from uh, AirWatch, uh, device management, automobile management, to Wavefront, who does uh, Lyft data analysis. So Lyft uses Wavefront uh, to, to upload data from their drivers, and then they do they write function calls against that data to, to change pricing and other things. I don't know what they do, but they write 
function calls to manage uh, their data through through Wavefront, which is our product that runs on AWS. So cool narrative, uh, 2,200 people through the booth. Um, if you look at that, that a, was a, a solid number two goal. And in fact, the I think the VMware booth, which was heavily invested in, um, probably got similar numbers, right? Um, so we, as a community code booth, Geeky, probably got the same numbers as a booth that probably spent a million dollars to get everybody there and run that booth in the Venetian versus we were over in the area. And uh, so power to the community and power to just uh, that. I, I would also say goal number three was bring, get our community members exposure and bring the community to uh, to reinvent and teach people what community meant. And I think that about 50% of my time was explaining to people what it meant to be in a community and what community had as an advantage and how we had big community, how we had the, the expert program, uh, what it meant for V Brown Bag, who was V Brown Bag. We had V Brown Bag stickers we were hanging out, handed out. We had yeah, code uh, stickers we hung out. We, we ran out of all stickers. By the time we were done, we had given out. I think Alistair you know, had bought you know, a couple thousand stickers and they were all gone. Uh, all our code stickers were gone. But we did bring the community and we explained to people that hadn't really been in community uh, what community was about, right? Um, so that was also very, that was our goal number three was to uh, bring community and then expose all of our community listeners and all of our community to a hybrid cloud environment and what it, what it meant to be in community with uh, AWS and the services that we offer and engaging with uh, AWS community members. And I think that was also successful. And part of this podcast is to you, at least take everyone that's listening to this and expose them to AWS reInvent. So if you haven't been there yet, at least you'll get some sense of what that was like and the audience members and who was there. Um, so I, th I thought that was I thought that was good. And John, I don't know. Sitting aside, you didn't get to go. I don't know if you felt like you uh, at least got a heavy exposure to what what uh, reinvent was like as a as a listener. Yeah, I, I have to say that um, it, it, watching all the social coverage. And by the way, I did not feel spammed at all. It felt very organic. It felt like people were you know suddenly tripping across uh, the code booth at reInvent and, and letting everybody know. It, it felt very, it, it was really cool. Uh, it didn't quite feel like being there. Of course, nothing, nothing is. Um, but the fact that people were able to go and experience it, and I got all these pictures of people working on the code projects, and um, you know, really, I think, engaging with uh, Amazon and VMware and Amazon's partnership and, and feeling uh, positive about it, like that, I felt think felt very reassuring to me, and um, I I don't know, it I felt reinvigorated, you know, and I, I think I uh, made a, a promise to myself that I'd find a way to get to reinvent next year. Um, I have several customers who are engaged with uh, Amazon. I don't think they went, but you know, maybe I'll talk to them and and we can all go together. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was one of these things that I would now balance my investment, you know, my, my poor little community budget, which actually is pretty big these days. Um, you know, I say $200,000. That's a big, large number to go to AWS reInvent. Um, but I would balance my budget for the 
three events now, VMworld, US, VMworld Europe, and and AWS. Uh, and, the, and then might have to even look at uh, other cloud, cloud offerings and see where they're, because I think the hybrid cloud environment is here to stay, cloud services are here to stay, and it's gonna be a mix of our portfolio, which I think it's good for all of us to get exposed to and engage with. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to engage with people that haven't seen community yet and what it's like. And, uh, and uh, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people there that uh, could use some enterprise experience. So should be, should, should be some opportunities for us. Yeah. 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 Eric, I I have a question for you. If it's, if it's not too forward, have, have you been getting any pressure to have a presence at Microsoft Ignite um, I know that's like early November next year, um, yeah. but you know, there, I did. I, somebody, yeah, we. I did get. Uh, I did get people reach out to me and say, "Hey, do you want to go?" Um, and so not so much pressure. And in fact, I didn't get pressure to go to AWS either. I felt pressure to to go there and 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 make sure that we engage and get our community members there. I think that yeah, I think there it, it was on my radar. We did have some conversation about it. a couple of people came to me and said, "Hey, there's an opportunity to go to Microsoft um, and engage with them." Um, haven't done it yet, uh, but I certainly, from my experience with this, uh, I thought that uh, I should go back and look at all you know Microsoft and uh, and and Google and see see where we want to spread some investment there. Um, so yeah. It was learning for me, and it was such a positive experience. I would, I would think that uh, we'll look at 2019 and figure out if we want to go some other places. Yeah. So, good point. And we have 10 minutes left, and I did tweet out that I would cover a little bit about uh, the the sensors just for fun because we did talk about it. It was a big hit, and uh, we are going to be publishing some of the stuff. So, thought I would just do a quick. Uh, you know, review of what I covered with regards to sensors on uh, on uh, as part of the the code experience. It was by far the busiest section uh, when we had, when I ran a sensor deep dive. Uh, the the whole booth was full. There were like 20 people deep behind us, and so I thought I would just take a moment to just uh, showcase a little bit of what we covered uh, in the booth on the deep dive on the sensor. So first, uh, if you're not watching, if you're not watching on live stream on Facebook. Uh, you might want to go over there and take a look. It's facebook.com slash VMTN community. Uh, there is a live stream uh, session there. It should be posted. And I thought I would just touch base on a couple slides that we did because we showcased the Raspberry Pi. And uh, the first slide I'll, I'll show, and there's a full deck on this, but I won't have the 30 minutes to get through the whole deck. But there's a couple slides that if you're kind of smart already, you might enjoy looking at it. Slide five, which this whole deck is uh, how to use sensors on Raspberry Pis. And I talk about ESX at the beginning of the deck. We'll post this deck out on uh, VMware Code. You're going to have to join VMware Code. We're going to put it on the Slack channel. So we're driving people to sign up for VMware Code to get at all the full slide deck and plus a video of me narrating through it. But for this, for the podcast uh, people that happen to get on live stream, the first slide I want to just touch base is here's what a Raspberry Pi 3B Plus looks like. And uh, on there are pinouts. And a lot of people just don't know when you get a Raspberry Pi, it's a full OS. It runs Linux. Slide talks about slide decks talk about how to install Linux and get it set up and get the Raspbian OS running on it. 
Um, but then when you get to slide five, I give you a summary of what the pinouts are. And uh, it's interesting to see, if you're looking at the slide, there's five volt pinouts, which give you a five volt positive. There's a series of grounds. So you have like seven different ground pins. So between the five volt outs and the grounds, you get about an amp per five volt pinout. So you can have multiple sensors running on each one of those pinouts. So that's fun for people to learn about the power on those pins, as well as the ground. Um, so you can run little LEDs and one amp is quite about a power if you're messing with this stuff. And then there's two three volt uh, pinouts, uh, power three volts. So the orange ones are three volts. So you actually have four, four different power outs, but we amp a piece means you can split those and run a lot of little devices. A typical sensor might be in the 20 to 50 milliamp range. And so you could technically have 10 or 15 sensors on one power line if you wanted to, one power pin. Uh, then the rest of them are what we call GPIO pins, which are IO pins that will talk some kind of serial protocol to the sensor to get the data from the sensor. So this was kind of very interesting because people have gotten Raspberry Pis but never really looked at these pins and understood what the pins do. And then there are special pins on the right-hand side that uh, you can run different bus protocols on. So the most popular bus protocol is an I2C bus done by Philips. It, it has a clock, it has a data line, and then you have power and ground. And it basically, like a USB bus, it's just two lines, a clock and a data, and, and then power and ground. And you can then move data back and forth from your sensors. The more complicated sensors have a chip the chip has an SOC, a system on a chip, and it has addresses for functions. And so the serial, you know, it runs the, 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 the function, grabs the data from the sensor, and then sends it up a bus to, to a bus protocol that's running, in this case, I2C on pin 3 and 5. Uh, there's another bus protocol called SPY. So there are SPY devices, and there's a SPY pro bus on, uh, on there. Uh, that are pins 19, 21, 23, 24, 26. This is right off the Raspberry Pi site. So if you go to the raspberrypi.com site, you can get these graphs. And each one of your different Raspberry Pis, this is a 3B+. Plus. The pinouts are slightly different, so you have to get the chart for your Raspberry Pi. This Raspberry Pi on Amazon costs about 40 bucks. So you get 40 bucks, you get an SD chip, uh, 16 gig SD chip. You put your and basically has an HDMI, a USB keyboard, mouse, audio, uh, all ready to go. So it's a full-fledged computer that you can run with a keyboard, mouse, and an HDMI monitor. Uh, so really cool full-on computer, but then has all of these I/O pins that you can connect these sensors to, which is a lot of fun. Um, so that's a, that's I covered this, and that's a good entry. Then I'll jump over because it's kind of fun just to skip through all the sensors we gave away, which is in the slide deck, and just give you two examples that I covered in the last four minutes here of the podcast. Uh, one of the ones that was my favorite sensor was a, a GPIO pin sensor, which just runs on GPIO, and it's it's the uh, it's the infrared motion sensor. All it basically does is send out the beam of infrared in the le in the in the in the room, and it actually um, senses any movement in the room. So we have those sensors. These sensors cost about a dollar, dollar twenty-five cents on Amazon. You can buy in packs of five. I don't know why you'd want five, uh, but you can buy them. So we bought packs of a bazillion of them and just gave them to people uh, a buck to come in and have fun. And this was uh, then I I actually have on this slide. If you're looking on Facebook Live, uh, you'll see that. Um, 
I give you the Python code to be able to use this sensor, and I give you the wiring for the sensor. It's basically DC voltage, a plus 5 volts goes to pin 2, which is the red one, that's the 5 volts. I actually put the ground over to pin 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Uh, so you connect the ground to the ground pin. Now you've got positive and ground. That's been, that will boot up the sensor. And then the output of the sensor, you just run to any GPIO pin you want. I chose pin 40, and uh, now my sensor is hooked up to my Raspberry Pi, and I can actually use this. Um, then the Python code that you can run, the nice thing is Raspbian has uh, Python already built in. So the language is there. You don't have to install anything. It has a RPI, uh, Raspberry Pi, GPIO library, which is basically a library to interact with the GPIO pins on, on the board. So you're pretty much in business without having to install or do much setup and then I just have some code here, Python code. I'm not going to go through it all. Uh, I import the library and assign it to an object uh, called I.O. Uh, then I do an I.O. set mode, uh, I.O.board, which basically just says, hey, I'm going to reference all the pins by pin number. Uh, so that tells the I.O. library to just use pin numbers. Then I do an I.O. setup, uh, 40, uh, comma, I.O. in, which says take pin number 40 and make it I.O. in which is the output of my sensor that goes into my board. That's where I'll just read the data from the sensor. The next line is just if IO input 40, uh, which says if there's some IO on 40, this sensor only gives you a positive one volt if it sees motion or a zero volt if it doesn't. One volt is a, a one, an on, and zero volts is a zero or an off. And so I say if on or if one, if input 40, which would be a one, that means that uh, the sensor saw somebody and it'll print I see you. Else uh, tab, I, I say print all, all quiet, no motion, because the else says it was a zero, which means it doesn't see anybody. And then you can put that in a while loop if you want. I, I, I simplified the code so it go on one slide here. Um, put in a while loop, and then anytime he moves around in that sensor, it'll either print I see you or it won't. And it works really nice. So it's a really fun project that we did, and, uh, and, and everybody got to see this learn how to do this. It's not really relevant from an uh, ESX perspective, but it is kind of how sensors work out on the edge. And AirWatch will, obviously, this code and the driver code, there is a library, the RPI GPIO library, that talks GPIO pins has to be updated. And if there's new sensor functionality or new updates to the sensor code, this is what VMware gets into management out on the edge. Uh, and we have edge products that manage the drivers uh, for sensors in automobiles and other places, building management and so forth. We had a whole IoT section uh, in uh, at VMworld, and so you could go in and you know kind of learn how we manage IoT devices. And this was just kind of a fun lab to do that. So if you want to do this lab, you can uh, join code. We can send you um, the whole slide deck that kind of gives you all the sensors. We have a slide that talks about uh, where to go buy the sensors on Amazon, top 50 sensors you can go get, uh, and have some fun with that. Uh, and the only other slide that I would cover, I think we're at the top of the hour, was we did uh, the next slide. We had a self-paced uh, self I2C sensor, which is a bus sensor, which means you have to actually install a library for the particular chip that's on this uh, sensor because the chip is a complicated chip that talks through a bus. So there's a little bit of how to install the, uh, the Python library. Uh, once you get the Python library installed, you wire the, the, the sensor up. This is, a, this is a $5 sensor, the barometric pressure sensor, or BMP280. It's famous. It'll give you altitude, temperature, and pressure. So a lot of fun to do this. Um, 
you have to you have to do a little bit more work on installing some stuff here in this example. Uh, you have to create the bus and then pass the bus into the BMP280 library. Once you do that, you can just uh, read and write uh, the pressure, temperature, and altitude from or you read it from from that sensor using using that BMP280 library that you set up. And it just talks through the through the pins and works. I've done this one. It works. Turns out there's a bug in my slide if you're listening and you actually go get this. Oh no, I yeah. Um, where you say user bin Python to run your app. If you write this code, you have to run it with Python. Uh, this requires Python 3 and the default on a Raspberry Pi Raspbian OS is Python 2 and it will not work. You actually need to run Python 3 or make the Python link link to uh, Python 3, not Python 2. I fixed that, but I don't think Julia has my latest slide on this one, which I just made a 3 at the end of Python. So a lot of fun um, working with everybody. I think we had, like I said, uh, ooh, you know, 16, 1,800 people come through. It was packed. You can go buy these sensors and a Raspberry Pi on uh, on Amazon today if you want to mess with it. I tweeted out a picture running these sensors as well as a, a, a four digital clock, which was a lot of fun to do. We signed a lot of people up for code around it. We'll publish this stuff all on the code Slack channel. So if you want to play with us, um, I will do a di couple different sessions on you know using Raspberry Pi for some cooler projects. Uh, you can do that, join code. We're also going to be doing an update on the uh, ESXi for ARM that will run on Raspberry Pi OS. Expect that. We'll give status reports in the quarterly newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for code yet, you might want to do that just because there's a lot of cool things going on around ARM, around uh, ESX for ARM delivery, as well as uh, managing devices and so forth. So a lot of fun there. Go sign up for code. We're trying to drive registration for code, of course. And uh, I think we're going to be at 15,000 people in the code program once we get uh, everybody from the shows uh, on the invite list, which is basically just a quarterly newsletter. Um, and you get invited to the Slack channels. So that's it for me. thought I would do that summary just because I tweeted out that in case we didn't had some time left over, I would do that. So we did. And... Uh, that's about it, uh, John. Anything else you wanna you wanna end up with before we uh, talk barbecue? Oh and man, and end. Oh, I am I'm having flashbacks to my uh, my electrical engineering uh, time at uh, in college. Oh, very very good. I'm impressed. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, okay. I I have to say that. Uh, it looks it looks really exciting. I, I I'm looking looking forward. I, I bought mine while you were talking, so uh, oh yeah, <laughs> a little uh, bit behind the scenes. Um, I, I got the timer going with the, the I wish I had uh, given Julia the picture I tweeted out earlier today. I pictured I I, I just I, I sent a tweeted out a picture of my my lab bench with uh, with a touch sensor, a infrared sensor, and the BMP sensor all wired up, and then I have a clock with a four digit LE running. Uh, I had a lot of fun with that. I think I'm going to make a Christmas clock that counts down by second, the seconds left before Christmas, and then put that baby on my Christmas tree when we set it up next week because it's a lot of hacky fun, a lot of, lot mm -hmm. of fun. A lot of, yeah, pretty good. Learned a couple things from the community. Uh, thank you for people that gave me community feedback on this when people were following along. I learned that uh, 
uh, a the Raspberry Pi does not do uh, A to D. The Arduinos do A to D. I had that wrong in my presentation because I assume the Raspberry Pi. I've done a lot of an, uh, Arduino projects, which is just basically a smaller version of Raspberry Pi with a, a little microkernel. Turns out the Raspberry Pi chip, uh, they, when they built it, they cheaped out and didn't put the A to D converter in. So if you hook up a analog out. Uh, to which is a lot of these sensors have analog and digital. The the analog sensor uh, the analog won't work. You need an A to D chip. There is an A to G chip that we were giving away at the booth. Um, so we had them. We just didn't know we needed them. So thanks to community members that reached out and corrected me on the A to D. Uh, and I built a slide at four in the morning uh, Monday evening and uh, came back and presented a little bit more accurately with regards to A to D conversion, which is in my slide deck now. So if you've never done A to D, it's not that scary. It's really easy. There's just a chip and you hook it up uh, to spy and you just run your analog line right in and the libraries handle it. So a lot of fun. Uh, John, uh, thanks for buying a Raspberry Pi and uh, joining code. I appreciate it. So uh, a lot of fun there. And uh, we're at the top of the hour. Um, barbecue, coming up into Christmas. Anybody got any barbecued ham techniques for uh, glazing your ham with a little torch? Uh, I think that would be called the barbecued ham, but that's the only thing I'm looking forward to. Don't know if anybody else, uh, Wonder Nerd, whether, whether you've got anything going on. I, I got a good one for you. So this, is, this would be a, a nice uh, snack for uh, your holiday uh, table setting. Barbecued grapes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Barbecued grapes. Huh. Yep. I, do you I, put I, a, gla a, gla a glaze on them, or do you just cook them? You, you just cook them. I did this um, about uh, a week before Thanksgiving. I just took a whole clump of uh, grapes, still on the vine and everything, rinsed them, and uh, plopped them right there on the grill. They grill up really nicely and uh, caramelize, so... You get a uh, nice caramelization underneath the skin. Tastes really good. They get some of the smoky flavor and everything with them, along with the sweet. Wonderful. Thing. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, there you go. That's what that's what it's going to be. Barbecued grapes for today, coming into the Christmas season. I'm going to try to get a, a, a product guest on next week so that we can get back to some some product discussion because we had a lot of community discussion going on the last uh, month and a half. Thanks for everybody listening. Appreciate it. Uh, 6,000 downloads. Holy smokes. That's a lot. That even beats the uh, John Troyer record of 5,800. So uh, thanks for everybody doing that. And uh, we'll be on here again next week. Until then, uh, hope everyone has a fantastic rest of your day. With that, we will say goodbye.